Good evening, everyone. Excuse me. No, thank you. Before we get started, let's, let's open in a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this evening, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be here. We thank you, Lord, for this place that you've provided, dear Lord. And I thank you, Lord God, for the the faithfulness, Lord God, of your people. I thank you, Lord God, for the desire to hear your word, dear Lord. And I just pray that tonight, Lord God, as your word go forth, Lord God, that it would not be me and my own strength, Lord God, but it would be you through me, dear Father. Thank you, Lord, for showing me and illuminating your word, Lord God. May I have a clear voice tonight. And again, that your spirit would lead. Have your way with me tonight as we honor you and worship you in the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Pastor started, started us off last week with the introduction to the book of Numbers. So again, uh, just the, the name of it alone sounds kind of, I don't know if you say intimidating, but kind of boring. But we learned that the word means wilderness, right? And that's where Israel is now. Right after the book of Exodus, they continue uh, in their journey. And in uh, preparing for tonight, what really stuck out to me was the counting. Of course, that's what the text is about, but that the commitment that the people were making. And the word that resonated in my mind was pledge, was that a pledge was being made. So I titled tonight's message, I Pledge Allegiance. Now that word... Uh, allegiance, right? It actually means the definition should come up loyalty or commitment of a subordinate to a superior or an individual to a group or a cause. Loyalty or commitment of a subordinate to a superior or of an individual to a group or a cause. And that really should describe us as the followers of Christ, of the believers in Jesus Christ, of God's children, that we be loyal, that we be committed, that we be the subordinates, right, to the superior authority of God himself, and that we stand up for God and his word, and that we live a life that's committed to him. So tonight I'm just going to go over three commitments uh, from the text. Well, two from the text. One, just to kind of frame it, is, would be God's commitment to his promise, then Israel's commitment to God, and then our commitment as a church, as individual followers of Christ, our commitment to God. So there, it's a long chapter. I'm going to read the uh, first five verses, and then we'll deal with the rest as they come up. So if you would, please stand as we do to hear the reading of God's Word. I will read, again, Numbers chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. The Word of God says this, Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tent of meeting on the first of the second month, in the second year after they came out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the sons of Israel, by their families, by their fathers' households, according to the number of names 
every male head by head, from 20 years old and upward. Whoever is able to go out to war in Israel, you and Aaron shall number them by their armies. With you, moreover, there shall be a man of each tribe, each one head of his father's household. These, then, are the names of the men who shall stand with you. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. So the first thing I want us to be reminded of is God's commitment to his promise. And we'll get into, into the commitment of Israel to God in the first three verses, but the, God's commitment to his promise. And that involves his commitment to Israel, but it's really to himself. It's to his promise. It's for his sake. So God's commitment to deliver Israel to the promised land wasn't, probably wasn't realized as soon as Israel was hoping for. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But God continued to be with them through their grumbling. From Genesis through Exodus and Leviticus, as we've seen, this is a continuation of Israel's story of redemption, as much as it is of God's everlasting, gracious, and merciful love. We see a God who is committed to his promises, even though at times his people act in ways that you and I would conclude are undeserving of God's faithfulness, if we be honest. But praise be to God, he is nothing like us, amen? He is a good, faithful, gracious God. And just as a reminder, the promise that God made to Israel, Genesis 15, verse 18 on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. And I couldn't help but think that as the Israelites came out of Egypt, and now they're on their way to the promised land, that quite possibly there may have been an eagerness among them, within themselves, uh, to anticipate entering that land, especially coming out of 400 years of bondage, of persecution. You know, the, the time now has come, as we will see in Numbers, to prepare for the conquest they've longed for. Again, finally, after 400 years, maybe the attitude was like, this is it, we're going in, finally. After all this time, the promise will be fulfilled. And again, as we read in the text, the Israelites have been uh, two years removed from, from this bondage of Egypt, when God commanded Moses uh, to take a census, which was part, again, of preparing Israel to move into the land. And it was instructed that whenever Israel would take a census, part of that instruction was that they had to abide in those specific instructions, as we saw throughout the books that we've already gone through, that it's got to be done God's way, very, very specifically, all that he commands. So here we are now in the book of Numbers, where those between the age of 20 and up, probably up to the age of 60, uh, they were to be counted. All right? This was all being done in preparation, again, for a battle that would ensue upon entering the promised land. God is committed to his people. And God wants his people to be committed to him. Amen? God accomplished this, this by using the census. The census, again, preparing Israel to move in to the land. But I do believe the numbering wasn't so much a logistical 
presentation, uh, preparation as it was preparing the people's hearts, minds, and attitudes for entering the land, but mainly for towards their God. So that just to kind of frame, again, God's promise, uh, God's commitment to His promise. Next, I want us to look at Israel's commitment, Israel's commitment to God. We're familiar in this country, in the United States, with censuses, right? Every 10 years or so, the U.S. government requires that a count or a numbering of those who live in this country uh, be taken. A, cent- a census impacts the need and implementation of government programs, policies, funding, education, etc. There's a reason for it. A census in ancient times, as we're reading here, was done for one of two reasons. One reason was for the purpose of taxation, while the other reason was for military planning. Back in Exodus is when God had given the instructions on how to conduct a census. So I think it would do us good to take this opportunity just to be reminded a little bit about the process of taking a census. So a counting or a numbering of the people was to be done, again, as was instructed by God. It was back in Exodus chapter 30. The word count or number means to muster for battle, to muster to battle. So those counted were specifically the men 20 years of age and up, again, probably to the age of 60. Whenever Israel would take a census, and for whatever, whichever reason it was, it was to be done again, exactly as God commanded. Those qualified men would assemble. What they would do is they would assemble in one place. Then they were counted or they were numbered as they crossed over from one side to the other side. Okay? And they were counted and they were numbered. As they crossed over, again, this is what God commanded, they paid what God called a ransom. Israel, we know, are the children of God. They belong to God. They are His people, and He is their God. Therefore, the ransom was symbolic of them, of one buying themselves back, redeeming. When a census was taken, and the men would cross over from the, from the place that they gathered to the other side, that action demonstrated that they and their families were submitting themselves to God, that they belong to God. But then it makes you think, if, if they belong to God already, then why do it this way? Why demonstrate it this way? Well, first of all, God required it. This is how God said it had to be done. But because when the ransom was paid, like I said, you, pay, you bought yourself back. And now, by crossing over, this was a voluntary surrender. Right? It was a symbolic voluntary surrender and submission to God. A proclamation that I am making God Lord of my life. Amen? So it was a symbolic demonstration. This choice was corporate in the sense that it was done together with everyone else. The person basically was saying, I will join and I will stand with you. It especially testified of one's individual subjection, again, to God, as well as a commitment to the whole Israelite nation. When we become a member of the family of God, that is, upon our salvation, whether we realize it or not, I have done 
In essence, what Israel did when a census was taken, like this one in Numbers, like this one in Numbers would have taken place. It would have been the same, the same thing in a sense. There's a, a confession, right? If you confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, right, that you are saved. So I confess, I believe, and I follow. It's not just those two, but I have to follow. There has to be a demonstration. There has to be an action. The census of the family of God is not taken when that role is called in heaven. You know that hymn that we sing, when the role is called up yonder. That role happens now. That role happens when we profess a faith in God's calling of us. When we come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ as our Savior, the census for believers is what puts our name on that role. Again, when you and I respond to God's call. And upon salvation, I am committed to the Lord. I belong to Him. I am to subject myself to His authority that it may go well with me because the ransom has been paid, amen, with the blood of Jesus Christ. It was paid so that I may be counted as a member of God's family, both you and I. And throughout chapter 1, we would read the words, whoever is able to go out to war in Israel. Again, this was the reason for taking the census. There was a battle to come. So of those who were able, who were willing to fight to enter the promised land, they would proclaim their allegiance to God and to the community of Israel. Church, in very much the same way, aren't we preparing to enter the place that God that promised for us? Amen? To be in His presence for all eternity? And as a church, and as individual Christians, believers, members of the body of Christ, we are at battle right now. Amen? Isn't that what we've been learning as pastors been preaching through the book of Ephesians? He finished uh, last, last week. What stuck out to me was that we must, we must use the equipment we've been given. We must put on Christ. Be in Christ, for Christ is our armor. Amen? So we are in a battle. The war has been won. We have the victory, but we have our battle. And we have to proclaim our allegiance. And we have to demonstrate it. There's two blessings uh, in being counted. One is being part of the community or part of a family. And the other is sharing in the division of the promised land. That's really what's going on even in our time, right? We're part of a community. We're part of a family. We're part of the body of Christ, part of the local church here at 31 Passaic Avenue. And, we're, and we will share heaven together, amen, in God's presence one time, at one day. To be counted meant being identified as part of the people of God, which would include privileges and responsibilities. So what about the church's commitment? As with Israel, our commitment to God is demonstrated by our worship. I'm not just talking Sunday morning, Sunday night, but it, worship to God is everything we do, right? I think we all understand that. So our, our commitment, our allegiance to God is demonstrated by our worship, and also by the blessings that we receive. 
They are, there are responsibilities and privileges to being part of God's family. So let's take a minute to look at the commitment of the church, our individual commitment as believers. I was thinking on Sunday morning, we have approximately about 120 people in the sanctuary here at the 1030 service, and in the evening between 30 and 35, plus or minus. So we can correctly say that we have 120 people at the 1030 service and about 30 people at the evening service who are committed to coming to church. That's a fact. We can say that with confidence. They have set time aside, you set time aside, purposeful to be here to make time. And I know I'm preaching to the choir, before we go patting ourselves on the back saying, I've been coming, I've been coming to both services for, for 10 years now. Uh, if that's not a commitment, well then I don't know what is. Again, I'm not saying that about you, but can I say that that is only the tip of the iceberg coming to service? And I know, again, I'm preaching to the choir here. How can we tell what people are committed to? By the time they put into something. There's a saying, too, you can tell what a person is committed to by just looking at their checkbook. right? So it's demonstrated. What we're committed to is lived out. Again, the amount of time we spend with someone, with something... And what, it, what this had me doing was asking myself, what am I committed to? Okay? What am I committed to? Am I, am I, is my allegiance 100% towards God? And like Mike mentioned today in his sermon, not all the time, not 100%. We're human. We have a sin nature, so we're going to falter. But really, if you want to know what you're committed to, ask someone who's close to you. If you're married, ask your spouse. What do I demonstrate my allegiance to? What, what is, it? is it? Is it? Is it watching football? Is it to the body of Christ? What, whatever it might be. Is it my work? Ask them. Ask yourself. It's always good to examine ourselves. But let's look at a few things, a few commitments, and their respo- the responsibilities that we have and the privileges that come with them. Go back to Exodus 38, verses 22 to 25. Now Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made all that the Lord had commanded Moses. With him was Oliab, the son of Ahisamach, of this tribe of Dan, an engraver and a skillful workman and a weaver in blue and in purple and in scarlet material and fine linen. All the gold that was used... For the work, in all the work of the sanctuary, even gold of the wave offering, the silver of those of the congregation who were numbered. So again, they're making the, the furnishings and everything that's required for the tabernacle. So reading now, what is my responsibility? What is our responsibility? My responsibility is to support the local ministry and its work. And we do this through our giving. The privilege is, is that by doing so, we, have, we are blessed by that. We have a place to gather. We have a, a pastor that is able to uh, work here full time and devote his time to the, to the study of God's Word. And by that, we're blessed. Resources are available. Ministries, books, whatever you may need to grow in your faith. 
So all these things are privileges that we have. Another responsibility, in addition to giving, is that my support can also be by serving in a local ministry, by serving here at the church. That is a responsibility I have. That is how I would demonstrate my allegiance. And the privilege is being edified and growing in the Lord when we do that. Amen? Acts 2.42, familiar passages. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as in the habit of some, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the, we read those two verses. Our responsibility, what I see, is regular attendance, to, to come here and assemble on a regular basis. And again, the privilege is the edification of others, of each other. All right, as we come together, as we study God's Word together, as we speak to one another, that we build each other up. Another way we demonstrate our allegiance is by prayer. Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So our responsibility, our demonstration of allegiance is that we supporting the fellowship of Christ through praying for one another, through intercessory prayer. We are to pray for one another, to lift each other up. And what is the privilege? What is the blessing? Is that we strengthen one another. I am strengthened. I, Sean's praying for Sharon. Sharon's praying for Darlene. Darlene's praying for me. All right? Nothing encourages... Uh, if, nothing encourages me, encourages me as much as when someone just walks up and says, I've been praying for you. That builds me up. That, that encourages me. That tells me that someone is in touch with God, with His Spirit. So to be strengthened, we strengthen one another as we pray for one another. Luke 18.1, Jesus says, you ought to pray and not lose heart. Because as we battle... As we're learning again in Sunday mornings, we, we cannot grow weary. We have to build each other up to continue to persevere that we endure. <clears throat> and lastly, faithfulness, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we're responsible, we demonstrate our allegiance by our faithfulness to the local ministry, to 31 Passaic Avenue. And the blessing or the privilege, again, is, part, is the participation in the building of God's kingdom, right? Jesus said, 
that we are to make disciples, that we are to baptize, that we are to teach them to observe all that he has commanded. Amen. So again, our allegiance, with our allegiance, the demonstration of our allegiance, there are responsibilities and even the blessings that we receive through those responsibilities that we enjoy, that we share with one another, and that they're demonstrated for other people to see as a testimony of who we are committed to. God promised Abraham that he will multiply his children to where there would be innumerable, right? Until Christ returns, he continues adding to his kingdom through the faithfulness of his people, through the preaching of his word. As Israel was leaving Egypt, as they left Egypt, we read in Exodus 12, 38, that there were a mixed multitude also went up with them, along with flocks and herds, a very large number of livestock. Again, we talk about being part of a community, part of a family. This was a community, a family, that was not of blood relation, right? There were people that, that were family members, right? But there were sojourners, there were people that, that were uh, adopted into the nation, okay? They're not blood-related, but also adopted by God, making them his family. The same is true of you and I. We're not blood-related. We don't have the same relatives. We are related by the blood of Christ, yes, but we have been adopted into the family of God, amen? So that makes us a family. No, no different was it then. You had tribes and you had clans. The tribes were the direct descendants of Jacob's sons, and then the, the clans were those that were uh, related to the direct des descendants of, of Jacob, let's say by marriage. Because it get, the text gets into the, the, the tribal leader and the clans a little bit, so just a little bit of clarity there. In, in verses 4 to 16, we see the appointed or called men of God, those that he named. God continues in his speaking to Moses in verses 4 and 5. He says, With you, moreover, there shall be a man of each tribe, each one head of his father's household. These then are the names of the men who shall stand with you. So we read there that really each man was chosen by God. They, they came from their representative tribe, from their family. And this just made me think that it was, it was similar to, uh, to Moses and his father-in-law, right? Jethro, when, uh, again, counseled Moses in delegating uh, the responsibilities of the nation, that he wouldn't be burdened. In Exodus 18.21, this is what it says, Furthermore, you shall select out of these people... Out of all the people, able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over, over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens. God set a, a criteria, right, for Moses to select. There were righteous men whom Moses entrusted with the responsibilities so that he was not overburdened. That was the purpose of that. But that's where the differences between there and here is that he was given a criteria, he would select them, but here the difference is that, that Moses did not choose. God chose. He, he says, these are the names of the men who will stand with you. 
That word stand, stand with you, it means to go up before, stand in position or respectfully before, be motionless. That's to come alongside, to support, okay, to be there. This was a monumental event of great importance, what was going on here. To be counted meant that the person, again, was choosing to be identified by name as part of the community and to pay the cost that went into being a member of the people of God. They were, in effect, making the statement, I'm in or I'm out. Again, this was voluntary. Do you want to be included or excluded? Do you want to be a member or do you want to be excommunicated? That's what was happening at this moment in the presence of the entire nation. This was a great thing happening. So they would have to demonstrate their allegiance. And there'll be times in our lives that we will have to do that. And we see that those days drawing closer and closer that we would have to take a firm position. These 12 men were also that were, that were named by God were also involved uh, uh, with the camp arrangements in chapter 2, we'll see. In addition to the tribal offerings for the sanctuary, we'll see that in chapter 7, as well as when the divisions, uh, the, the armies finally depart from Sinai in chapter 10. These men would also function as the official representatives of their respective tribe in matters such as a military recruitment, as we see here, and as worship leaders and the day-to-day administration of things. Then from the end of verse 5 to the end of verse 16 are named all the men who would assist Moses and Aaron in the numbering of the 20 and over. Which brings us to verse verses 17 and 19, where Moses directs the census when they actually take it. Verse 17 of Numbers chapter 1, So Moses and Aaron took these men who had been designated by name, and they assembled all the congregation together on the first of the second month. Then they registered by ancestry in their families, by their father's households, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, head by head, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So he numbered them in the wilderness of Sinai. So Moses and Aaron, we read there, had faithfully carried out the instructions of God in their preparation, in their gathering of the people, in the execution of their assignment from God. Families and clans were now identified, and the men were enlisted one at a time, name by name, until the entire assembly had been registered. And in verses 20 to 43, it's listed the the census results. Just a quick recap of the numbers. Uh, The tribe of Reuben, 46,500. Of Simeon, 59,300. Of Gad, 45,650. Of Judah, 74,600. Of Issachar, 54,400. Of Zebulun, 57,400. Of Joseph through Ephraim, 40,500 through Manasseh, 32,200. Of Benjamin, 35,400. Of Daniel, 62,700. Of Asher, 41,500. And of Naphtali, 53,400. So those were the results of the census. And then in verses 44 to 46, we have a summary and a total. We read, beginning in verse 44... 
These are the ones who were numbered, whom Moses and Aaron numbered, with the leaders of Israel, twelve men, each of whom was of his father's household. So all the numbered men of the sons of Israel by their father's households from twenty years old and upward, whoever was able to go out to war in Israel, even all the numbered men, or the total number, the total number were 603,550. So the message is sent to the people that these are the ones who were numbered, those who have committed to willingly fight for you who are willingly offering their life to save yours, who are completely trusting in God's sovereignty in life and death. Again, this was a big deal, what was happening here. It wasn't just a matter of saying, you know, I pledge, I pledge allegiance and not doing anything. This is what they were proclaiming. And then we have the uncounted Levites in verses 47 to 54. The Levites, however, were not numbered among them by their father's tribe. For the Lord had spoken to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not number, nor shall you take their census among the sons of Israel. But you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony and over all its furnishings and over all that belongs to it. They shall carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings, and they shall take care of it. They shall also camp around the tabernacle. So when the tabernacle is set out, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle encamps, the Levites shall set it up. But the layman who comes near shall be put to death. The sons of Israel shall camp, each man by his own camp, and each man by his own standard, according to their armies. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony, so that there will be no wrath on the congregation of the sons of Israel. So... The Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. Thus the sons of Israel did, according to all which the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. And we'll see in chapter 2, again, the placement of those camps and the reasons. The, the Levites were not called, again, as we read there, to military action. Therefore, they weren't included in the census. God placed them, their responsibility was over the tabernacle. Their responsibilities were to watch over and maintain all the furnishings, all the utensils. Only the Levites could erect the tabernacle. Only they could take it down, and they would have to carry everything that was involved with it, the curtains, the coverings, the utensils, everything. They were to camp. They were also instructed to camp around the tabernacle and each tribe outside of them, around them. And probably what sticks out the most, to me at least, was in verse 53, where we read, But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony, so that, so that there will be no wrath on the congregation of the sons of Israel. The Levites, again, were to, to, to camp around the tabernacle, I believe as a buffer between the other tribes and the space dedicated to the service of God. This was the... This was a preventive measure against the kind of tragedy that can happen when that which is common comes into contact either intentionally or unintentionally, which we'll see, with that which is holy. Such an offense often brought immediate death to the offenders regardless of their intentions. 
So again, what, what resonated with me was the allegiance. The allegiance to God. We all, we all pledge an allegiance to God. We are all members of God's family. We should all desire to, to demonstrate our allegiance. We should be living as committed Christians. And this involves the commitment of our minds, which is a right and godly biblical perspective of all things, having a biblical worldview, a surrendered heart to the Savior, that I would not live for me, but live for the Lord, and a right attitude or desire and motive to please God. So I hope this, if you looked at all those things and, hey, I'm good, amen. But I hope it encourages us to, to examine ourselves a little bit. And again, we, we verbalize and to a certain degree we demonstrate, like I said, in our presence here tonight. But how far does that demonstration go? Can I take it any further? Again, not to be a fanatic or an annoying person, but... What are the areas in my life that I can be a, a better demonstrator of my allegiance to God? Where, where is it that God would have me improve? So I encourage you to, to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your truth and again for your faithfulness to us, Lord God, for your commitment to us, dear Lord. Again, it's a commitment to yourself, but we are the beneficiaries, dear Lord. Father, thank you so much for... Again, the, the, the responsibilities that you require of your family, Lord God, because it is a great privilege and honor to serve you, to be your vessel at any given moment, Lord God, in whatever capacity, in whatever way you use us, dear Lord. It is a tremendous blessing and honor, dear Lord. Help us, Lord God, to, uh, to align ourselves, to search. Lord God, ourselves, show us areas, Lord God, uh, because none of us have arrived. Uh, I believe we're all doing pretty well, but we can, I'm sure we can all do better. I think we all desire to be better worshipers, Lord God, that we would be able to show our love to you in our, in our demonstration, Lord God, of obedience, Lord God, in the demonstration of our allegiance, Lord God, that people would know what we stand on, who we stand with, Father, that people would know that we would not compromise and we would not waver, Lord God, that we trust you in all things, dear Father God. So thank you uh, again, Lord God, for your word. Thank you for your spirit that gives us understanding. Until we meet again, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, sir. When I think of commitment... And he said it many times, I think of faithfulness, and there is none more faithful than God. So please open up your hymnals to 139, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Stand with me, and we will sing all three verses. 139, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. 
There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with ten thousand beside. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. That last line again. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Amen.